0: wonderful time of the year and a fond farewell. This is chapter 222 of WCBS Author Talks. I'm your host, Lisa T. And coming up, Amy Reichert tells us why Christmas... Hey you. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this final episode and wondering where I went, I wanted to sneak in here and let you know you can find new episodes at lisatbooks.com or search for Author Talks with Lisa T. wherever you get your podcasts. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. At Lisa T. Books. Okay. Back to our regular programming. Something a little stronger. And getting carried away by all the hustle and bustle you hear. Amy Reichert perfectly captures that spirit. In her latest rom-com. Once Upon a December. Now I'll be honest. I am not the biggest fan of all those holiday TV movies out there. But even I couldn't help getting swept away. By Amy's charming story. So about a quarter of a way through reading this book. I wanted to stop everything I was doing, go down to the basement, bring up my multiple boxes of Christmas decorations, finish like decorate my apartment and then continue reading. So tell me why you wanted to write a Christmas novel.
1: Um so there's two reasons. There's a wonderful creative reason which is gosh, I just love Christmas stuff. I love the way Christmas time makes me feel. I love how happy everyone seems to be at Christmas time, at least in my life, not like the night before Christmas at the mall when everyone's cranky. Um, I love all of the decorations. I love the snow. I love the food. I love it all. So that's sort of the, I, I wanted to put that into a book and I love diving into like the Hallmark Christmas movies. That's gonna be on. Normally in my house, Christmas starts the day after Thanksgiving and then we go full full bore on it all for until Christmas Um, so that's sort of the fun I just wanted to capture that in the book the really practical reason was I new idea for my next book and I wanted a little bit more time to write it and I'm like hey if I write a Christmas book I get six more months (laughs) so it's the very practical reason why it was now uh but uh, at the end of the day, I just really someday I really want to like write a, a Hallmark Christmas movie. So
0: I'd be very it's... surprised if someone somewhere after reading it doesn't want to turn this one into a Hallmark Christmas movie. So why Wouldn't don't you that be
1: lovely? It would.
0: So why <laughs> don't you tell our listeners what they can expect when they pick it up?
1: Great. So Once Upon a December is about Astra. And every year she goes to the Milwaukee Christmas market with her best friends. It's sort of their annual tradition. And this year, she's so excited because there's this new part to the market that she doesn't remember ever having gone to. And there's this bakery that sells Kringle that's got some very handsome men behind the counter. One in particular almost seems a little familiar. And what Astra doesn't know is that this little part of the the Christmas market is actually a magical part called the Yule Markt, or Yule Market. And she's been there many times, but people who visit don't remember. So something is different this year and she remembers it the next day. And so then we find out what happens after that.
0: I love the, the magical Christmas market setting because I think anyone who's ever been to a Christmas market knows that there's some type of magic.
1: There is, there really is something magical about Christmas markets and Christmas places, especially if you're in, I've never been, but like the really established ones in Europe, like in Copenhagen, there's just something magical about the Christmas lights and the snow and there's something special going on underneath the surface.
0: So while you hinted at it, well, maybe you didn't hint at it, but I'll hint at it. There is a traditional love story within Mm -hmm. this book, but I love that it's not just about romantic love. This book is about love between friends, love between parents, even love between a person and their fur baby.
1: Yes. And and ultimately, isn't that what Christmas is kind of all about? Love in all of its different incarnations. Um, But yes, I really wanted, I mean, Astra is not a 20 something. She's been down that young romantic love path where she dropped everybody in her life for a man. Um, That sounds really dramatic, but I mean, that's kind of what happens sometimes when you're in that, that really passionate first love, you kind of become absorbed in it. And she learned from that experience that she didn't want to do that again the next time she met somebody. So she really wanted to make sure that her friends were Maintained a part of her life, and and that was a tough. I don't want to get too far into it, but (laughs) so that was that was really important because her friends, good girlfriends, just are ride or die, and they are always with you. And the the girls and the the women in the group in the book were inspired by my college roommates. I dedicated the book to them because it's been a while. We don't need to give specific dates on how long it's been (laughs) since college. But it's been over 20 years, and we are still all friends. So I'm just, I wanted to kind of celebrate that. And of course, who doesn't love dogs? Oh, I
0: love Bernie. I want to take Bernie home. (laughs) I want to take Bernie home.
1: I had, it was dangerous that, so while I was at the very tail end of this book, like in copy edits and stuff, we lost our dog, who was a rescue. It was not Bernie in any way, but so... I really feel I wanted to get a Bernie very much. So Um, a new Bernie because, and I, and I really like the idea of rescue dogs. I think people, that's where you should get your puppies, your fur
0: babies. Tell me why Christmas is not just a holiday, but a state of mind. So
1: at least in my world, it seems like everyone's just a little bit nicer during the holiday season. We're, Maybe a little bit more. We spend more time with family. We want to spend more time with family sometimes. We're more generous. We're giving to charities. I just feel like the world is a little bit better. And wouldn't it be nice if we could carry that with us the rest of the year, where we maybe thought a little bit more about the people around us and made sure to spend time with maybe relatives we don't see very often? And you know, reached out to strangers and did nice things. So I love, I love that idea that you can carry that with me. And I, and and plus as a Northern person, to me, Christmas has snow, but I also like the idea that because it's a state of mind, you can take it with you wherever you go. I mean, you can go to someplace warm, like Esther goes to her parents and snorkel and then have Christmas. But to me, it's something I think it'd be nice if we could all have that state of mind year round.
0: Now, knowing Um, that about you, is that why this is the book you wrote during the pandemic? It might be. Because, you know, when I think about what how everyone was or how certain people were and you kind of just you want people to be like, just just can't we all get along? Like, can't we all be nice to each other and do nice things? Yeah, I think
1: this book and then my previous book, which is called The Kindred Spirits Supper Club. In there, the main character likes to do like secret, nice things for people like put, you know, change in the parking meters or money in books, the library, just little things to make someone else's day brighter. And I do think that that is absolutely a part, both of those were partly pandemic books, partly things are just intense in our country right now and have been for a while. And we're losing a little bit of our civility. So I think I am trying to manifest a little bit of kindness through my books in the hopes that, well, maybe someone will read it and then go do something nice for somebody. Wouldn't that be a good way to, like, that's the legacy my books can leave. I'm okay with that.
0: So before I let you go, I wanted to have a little fun. Okay. Uh, you be open to like a, a round robin Christmas quiz? Absolutely. All right. So Bring it. let's see what I've got here spiked hot chocolate or mulled wine
1: spiked hot chocolate
0: favorite christmas movie elf that explains the quote at the beginning of your book it does (laughs) (laughs) real or fake tree
1: i have a fake tree i would prefer a real tree
0: but it was
1: part of marriage negotiations that i lost
0: (laughs) (laughs) gingerbread or sugar cookies sugar cookies wrapped presents or gift bags
1: I, if I'm giving the gift, I would like to do gift things. <laughs> if I'm getting the gift, I like breath prism.
0: Rainbow or clear lights?
1: Uh, clear lights.
0: And favorite yeah, that's a good one. Kringle flavor?
1: <gasps> Cherry almond, just like Astra. It's really, I really good. I had a good. feeling
0: that might be your favorite. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I, you know, sometimes you just can't keep parts of yourself out of your books.
0: Oh, wait, I've got one more. Oh. Favorite Christmas song.
1: So this is going to take a little bit longer than you probably have time for, Um, but I actually made a playlist of Christmas songs for um, this, and there is a song by Simple Plan for the book, like Aster's playlist, Um, and I'm very, very proud of it, Uh, but the very first song on it is from A Simple Plan, and I think it's called Every Day is Christmas. Let me just confirm that. You know, Christmas Every Day. I love it because that's Astra. She wants Christmas every day. And i it's become my new favorite Christmas song because it's sort of the bop around the house, decorate your Christmas tree kind of jam. It's a great song.
0: Well, I'm going to have to put so, that yeah. one on my Simple holiday play- playlist then.
1: Yes. I even have like a little, I'll have to repost it again soon. But if you go on my Instagram feed, there's even a graphic that has like the little QR code and you can bring it up on your Apple Music oh, or whatever. Yeah. Or you can see the playlist, but yes.
0: We've been talking with Amy Riker. The new book is Once Upon a December. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Lisa. A Wish for Winter, the new holiday novel from Viola Shipman, a.k.a. Wade Rouse, has all the things you would expect from a Christmas story. A snowy setting, a couple of characters with seasonally appropriate names, and lots of Santas like a lot, a lot of Santas. But the heart of this story isn't about all those reindeer games. This quest for holiday love hits at a much deeper level. But before we get into all that, Wade gives us the big picture.
2: Elevator pitch-wise, I always said this, A Wish for Winter sounds a lot like an Emily Henry rom-com on the surface. (laughs) It's, you know, it's about a 40-year-old independent bookseller named Susan who's very content in her life. But her mother and grandmother both met their future husbands while he was dressed as Santa Claus. And Susan's always felt it's been her destiny and curse to meet a man in the same way. And living in a small town in northern Michigan, her entire town has kind of forced her to go on dates with every eligible and ineligible man with like a Santa cap on his head her entire life and she's sort of done until her best friend forces her on her 40th birthday year to go to a Santa run in Chicago, which is a real deal in Chicago, I've done it. You dress up as Santa Claus or Mrs. Claus, or you know, in like her best friend's case, a hot elf, and you run for charity. And at the start of the race, Susan meets a guy in a Santa outfit that she feels an instant connection with, something she's never had with anybody before. And before they can get each other's names or see each other's faces, um, the race starts and they're torn apart. And he yells, meet me at a local bar in Chicago. And she shows and he doesn't. And that's when she's, you know, kaput with the whole dating idea. And she returns back to her bookstore in Michigan and her behind her back, her friends, bookstore employees and grandparents um, start an online dating app called The Single Kringle to find this missing connection. Because how difficult can it be to find one Santa in Chicago? And it forces Susan back out of her comfort zone and, you know, on dates. And it's, you know, as we're going to talk about, you know, it's, it's a book that's um, funny and sweet and full on holidays. But it also deals with a lot of deep seated issues that Susan's dealing with in her life.
0: I'm going to address the fun first, which is to say that as a single woman over the age of 40, I could never imagine putting myself through what Susan does in this book to find her single Kringle. Where did you get this idea of basically mashing up like Tim Allen's The Santa Claus with The Bachelorette?
2: It's that's a that's a great way to put it. You know, it's it's really interesting. I grew up um, in the Missouri Ozarks and my family was full on. Clark Griswold you know my grandmother had those those vintage plastic molds in her yard like a hundred of them that let up my parents every year dressed as Santa and Mrs. Claus and that was kind of the I always start with a very seminal memory of childhood usually that that drives me to write a book and that was one of them was my kind of my memories of, of my childhood and I this fascination with Santa you know I remember, Um, going to see Santa on the town square, and then going to school. And like this bully told me, he goes, you know, there's no such thing as Santa, which kind of ruins the entire fantasy that you have. And I've always, you know, and then furthermore, I lost my brother when I was young. And there's always, I believe, this fine line that separates childhood and adulthood and fantasy and reality. And when we're kids and when we're suddenly forced to become adults. So I had this premise that I You know, I just started playing around with and, you know, so many of my friends are 40 plus, all women, many single, still dating, you know, horror stories out out the kazoo that they tell me. And it just kind of all coalesced into, you know, an idea that I really wanted to make humorous, but then use the poignancy to kind of deepen the story a little bit.
0: So, as you mentioned, you know, there is grief. There's a Susan dealing with grief in, the, in this book. She lost her parents around Christmas time. And even though this is a book about finding love, that, that sadness, I think, is something anyone who's ever lost someone, whether it be around the holidays itself or just in general, they really will grieve with her as, you know, she and relate to this emptiness that she feels around the holidays.
2: Yeah, you know, it's um again, it's inspired by a lot of of my own life. You know, um, losing my brother and dealing with the pain, especially at the holidays, because my brother growing up was really our um, king of Christmas. You know, we lived on ten acres of woods. He would go out in the back, and every year he would cut down a pine tree and drag it inside and drench it in tinsel. And you know, when he was gone, I thought my my holidays were forever changed. I remember the next year I came home one day from school and my mom and my grandma Shipman, my pen name had gone into our woods, cut down a tree and dragged it inside and started decorating it. And they said, you know, it does no good to forget. You know, the best thing that we can do is really cherish that memory and understand that, that his life had a purpose and a meaning for us. And that really changed me forever. And, you know, in, in this book, Susan loses, as you mentioned, her parents um, at an early age, And, you know, we go through so much at the holiday times. You know, we pretend that it's this hallmark sheen of perfection and joy. And so many of us try to strive to live that, even though we're dealing with so much collectively. You know, it could be loss or loneliness or grief. And it's an issue that I really wanted to address in this, especially a woman. I thought it would be fascinating to have a woman who you know was named after the little girl in miracle on thirty fourth street, um but was the opposite of her in many ways. She believed in all the magic of Christmas. and then that was taken away. And yet every year in her life as a bookstore owner with her grandparents dressing as Santa and Mrs. Claus, she still has to deal with it in some way, but hasn't. You know, and this is this is a novel that addresses a lot of my own personal issues. You know, it took me a very, very long time in my life to um, forgive myself. Um, you know, dealing with a lot of survivors guilt in my life. Um, it took me a long time to learn to love myself um and appreciate myself. And that's the whole theme of this this novel is you really can't love someone else unconditionally unless you learn to love yourself unconditionally. Um, so all of those emotions always kind of you know form this pit within us that we that we have to release um, at some point in our lives if we're capable of moving on and that's what Susan deals with and a wish for winter
0: and I think there's something that stands out in your book too compared to like other Christmas like very rom-com stories is is this element of faith because I wouldn't go so far as to say that the book is religious but you know I, I really do get a sense of how strong your faith is must be in reading this book
2: yeah faith is a huge yeah, huge piece of of this book and of my life you know and i'm always you know i just watched the dolly parton special and i love that at the end of the thing she goes you know i never would take this and want to you know get on a pedestal and cram it down anyone's throat but i will say this you know my mother was um my grandmother um my pen name viola shipman was a working poor seamstress in the ozarks never finished grade school, never learned to drive. She stitched overalls at a factory. Um, She relied on something bigger than herself to make it through those hard times. My mother was a nurse and the end of her career became a hospice nurse in the Ozarks and tended to people that, you know, at the end of their lives, who had no one left, um, no health care. You know, I used to drive all over the countryside um, with my mom and hear the stories that she would share with me. You know, and especially with my, when my, we lost my brother, um, my mother always said, you know, there's got to be some bigger reason for this. There has to be, um, you know, life is too beautiful and too complicated and too awful and ugly and complex and wonderful to be this simple. There has to be something grander. And that's something that's always kind of, um, been ingrained in me that has helped me take a step forward in my life every every day when you know something hard hits me and that's what Susan grapples with too and you know it's fascinating you talked about you know a really great question you know this is a woman at 40 that you know I did not want to make reliant on finding a man you know I didn't want to write a book where she had to have a man to be happy um meeting someone was a result of loving herself and understanding herself um so that's i've had a lot of conversations with women 40 50 60 70 80 that have kind of appreciated um that that's the way i approach the story
0: and also you have her best friend holly who she you know she's not looking for anybody and she doesn't get any sort of hookup in the book at all she's kind of like nope i'm here i'm doing my own thing i am happy and let's just keep moving
2: Holly is, you know, I say she's a, you know, I, I used to write for People Magazine and my my beat was um, The Real Housewives. So I covered The Real Housewives <laughs> nonstop. Lots of stories there. But I, Holly's like a real housewife with a heart, you know, and I feel like, um, yeah, she's, she loves her life. She loves who she is. You know, like so many of my dear friends who are so accomplished and happy and society and family are constantly asking women, especially after 40, when are you getting married? When are you going to have children? And all of that, you know, causes a lot of inner turmoil. Um, and that's something I wanted to address and show that you know you can be totally happy and content and wonderful and fine on your own.
0: I feel like I need to carry around copies of your book so that when I get asked that question, I'm like, "Here, just read this. You'll know what I'm talking just about." Read it.
2: <laughs> you know, there are you know, as Holly understands, and even me to a large part, you. You know, like you, you're busy and successful, and content and happy and thrilled. And people don't, you know, society places very odd pressures and demands, especially on women. And and I I try to address that in every book that I write.
0: And and to to that point, you know, the thing I hear, and I'm sure your friends hear, and other women hear, is, well, I don't want you to be alone. You really nail and drill into the difference between being lonely and being alone, and that yeah, if the- you have your friends and you have your job and you have people who care for you and your community, you're not alone ever.
2: You're not alone. Yeah, that's that's actually a line from the book. You know, there's a you know there's a big difference between being alone and lonely, and I don't think people quite understand that. Um, you know, like myself and so many of my friends. You know, you're up at dawn. You have a career um, that completes you in so many ways. You have friends and family. Um, you're out and about <laughs> and participating in your community and are an integral part of that. And it doesn't require being paired with someone. To not be lonely or to not be happy—that's a—that's a a real problem in American society um, that we place on women. And it's you know every novel I write, it's always you know so many. It's so funny because so many um, authors have reached out to me and go, "Why did it take a man to start writing about women over 40? You know, because I'm like, no, I love I love my readers in their twenties and their teens, but um, I'm really fascinated by. women in my own life and characters in books that have lived, loved, lost, hurt. You know, all those fragiles, uh, fragility and foibles are what I find fascinating in people. Um and that's what I like to represent in my characters.
0: I want to circle back to something you've you've mentioned in this interview which is that you took your pen name from your grandmother. And what's the story behind that? Cuz I think there'd be people who first tune into this interview and go, "Wait a minute, I thought you were talking to Viola Where's Viola?
2: <laughs> I still get that. You know, it's it's funny. Even after I think it's been ten Viola Shipman novels, you know, people show up at events and go, you know, why is this man taking the stage? You know, it's <laughs> I think maybe, or they think that I'm going to show up in like a wig and a house dress, maybe. Um, and it's it's very. It sounds like a literary Victor Victoria in many ways. You know, I I chose my grandmother's name as a pen name for my fiction. For a deeply personal reason, you know, she was so poor. Um, my grandfather was so poor. He was an ore, ore miner, um, and when that work dried right up, he um, raked rocks off farmers' fields just to make enough money to feed his family, my mom and and my aunt, and they didn't have two nickels to rub together. And you know, my grandma and grandpa would throw spare change into a crock in their garage as Folks don't remember them. They were like six foot high urns. And they just threw spare change in, in that crock till it got full. And then they put it in the back of my grandpa's pickup and took it to the community bank and started a college fund for my mom. And she became the first in our family to go to college, which broke that cycle. Um, they did not want their children and grandchildren to have as hard a life as they had lived. Um, they, they made every sacrifice possible. Um, for me to be talking to you today. Um, my grandmother, it, even though she never finished high school, um, she pushed books in my hands. She volunteered at the local library. Um, she made reading and literature real to me, made me want to dream. And, you know, she, she changed my life. And I, you know, I, after my mother passed away, And when I was moving my dad into a smaller house, I found all of my grandmother's heirlooms boxed in the attic, you know, her charm bracelets and recipe box, handwritten recipe cards, her quilts and, you know, scrapbooks. And it hit me that my grandmother was never poor. She was the richest woman I'd ever known because she got what mattered most in life. Something we've been reminded of the last three years and something we all still struggle with is just each other. It's the little things in life that matter that we take for granted every single day. And um, it hit me. I got very emotional that day finding all of her, all of her heirlooms again um, because they told the story of my family and of her life. And that's why I started writing the novels. I do, you know, if people say her name hundred years after I'm gone uh, for a woman that never asked for a darn thing in her life. Then that's, that's the smallest thank you I could ever give her.
0: I think that's such a a wonderful, sweet, story. And I'm sure Thank she's you. extremely proud of what you've been able to do and what her sacrifices uh, led to.
2: I, mean, I hope so. You know, sure face would always flush. We never, she never she'd never get embarrassed. So I hope so.
0: <laughs> we share that in common. So now for people who aren't as into winter as you, because from reading this book, I get the feeling that you definitely are more of like team snow miser here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to completely switch gears and say you mentioned that you have a doozy of a summer novel coming up. So for people who need something to get them through those long, dark, cold days, what can they look forward to next?
2: Yeah, I have a, a two books coming out in 23, but the first is a summer novel out in June called Famous in a Small Town. And it's about an intergenerational friendship between a woman in her 80s and a woman in her 40s. And it's inspired by two very dear friends of mine who are in their 80s, um, uh, two women that uh, have lived their life with full gusto and have taught me more about how to approach life um, than many other people. And it's funny and quirky and odd. It takes place in northern Michigan, a little area called the Tunnel of Trees. And it's a it's you know, it's about a woman who at the age of 15, won the, and this is a real thing, the cherry pit spitting contest in Michigan. Um, She set the Guinness Book of World Records by spitting at the furthest anybody had ever done, uh, much to the dissatisfaction of many men in the area. And that record has stood for time. And her mother and grandmother always said, there will be another woman that will break your record, but you have to live long enough to see that. And along comes a woman who breaks up with her boyfriend and goes on a girls weekend and gets really drunk on Chardonnay at a winery and wanders up, to the Cherry Festival, which is a real thing in Northern Michigan, and spits that pit further than than the 80-year-old woman ever had in her life. And the two become very wary friends. And it's just about how you meet someone in your life who you never thought you would like. Um, and they end up changing your life in incredible ways.
0: Again, it sounds like another wonderful read. In the meantime, people can pick up A Wish for Winter Oh, one more question before I let you go. Since you mentioned your grandparents dressed up as Santa and Mrs. Claus, you ever trot out the red suit this time of year?
2: I've not, you know, I'm not, I would probably be more of Mrs. Claus, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this. I do. Um, I do a Facebook live every Thursday at six thirty Eastern called wine and words with Wade. And we do a crazy full on month long Christmas celebration. Um, And santa and mrs claus will be showing up so just stay tuned for that yes so they will be appearing
0: all right excellent so people can look forward to find you there on facebook pick up a wish for winter we've been talking with wade rouse aka viola shipman thank you so much for your time today
2: thank you for having me
0: and that's where we close the book on this podcast After five years, 222 episodes, and hundreds of author interviews, I'm sad to say this podcast is coming to an end. I want to share a heartfelt thank you to all the authors and publicists who helped me over the years. Without you, there would have been no authors to talk to. Thank you to my WCBS 880 family who contributed and supported this podcast from its first inception to its conclusion. And most of all, thank you to all of you who took the time to listen. But don't worry. This isn't the end for me. Once a book nerd, always a book nerd. I'll be taking some time over the winter to decide next steps, but in the meantime, I'll continue to post content on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880Books, and feel free to follow me personally on Twitter at LisaT underscore 15. Don't you just love a cliffhanger? For one last time, I'm Lisa Cherkovich.